A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from around the world to tell you how they saw the news from the past month. This is episode number 40 for October 2011. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is the show where we get people from different culture, countries, uh, backgrounds and we ask them, hey, what happened last month? And uh, sometimes they give us different answers and it, it's interesting and when they give us the same answers... It's not that interesting, but we still have fun along the way. Uh, I'm saying it's the episode for October. We're quite well into November already because I'm a little bit late. Um, but uh, we're still going to be talking about what happened in the month of October. So that's my naming convention. And God damn it, I'm sticking to it. Oh, I just swore. Sorry. Um, hello. How's it going, Mr. Scott Johnson and Mr. Charles? I don't know. We can say your last name, right, Charles? If you want to, you can say my last name. Okay. You know what it is. I really want to say Charles Cox. So, <laughs> you can I, wow, that that sounded dirty. I didn't really. Sure did. It's just your name. Um, so just thanks, Charles. Cox. Growing up with that name. That's yeah, I'm sure you've never heard that, Charles, in your yeah. whole life. No, I'm sure no, no one's ever done that. Yeah. That must have been quite been quite harsh. Um, so thank you both for being here. Um, so Scott Johnson uh, mm. is from the Utah in uh, the U.S. <laughs> Yes, As. indeed. From the United States of these Americas. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, it's a uh, dude. I don't know what it's like there in France right now, but today is a beautiful 40 degrees fall, orange leaves everywhere. We 40 degrees is like cold for you, right? Yeah, it's pretty. Well, yeah, I mean, it gets it gets as low as, you know, in the winter we get tons of snow and and it's you know very cold but right so now it's you just don't know perfect. what celsius uh, what the, oh, it is in uh, let me see if i can translate that for you without using google i'm going to say Wait. it's about europe is dumb that's what the temperature <laughs> is right now <laughs> hey okay. steady on there johnson wait, wait, wait a second let's let's ask uh, siri yeah ask siri okay. do you have it there what's 40 degrees fahrenheit in celsius let's see if she knows she knows a lot Oh, you're not um, using the French one. No, because let me check that for you. Oh, it's four degrees. Crap. Well, wow, actually, it's 4.444 degrees. Is that cold there for you? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cold. I mean, it's yeah. cold. It's, it's, it's jacket-wearing, you know, long well, pants weather. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, jacket <laughs> and more. <laughs> I mean, four it's degrees. jacket, no pants, uh, hat. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. As a homage to the French, as an homage mm -hmm. to the French uh, uh, people. So, what time is it for you now? Uh, it is eleven thirteen a.m. See, we don't get uh, we don't get the bad. fallback time change until tomorrow. So, you, cool. normally, I would be it would be ten thirteen here, and uh, 
we would be having this meeting. But I had the forethought to make sure that 6 p.m., you know, your time, Paris time, matched up well with my mountain time. And here we are. And uh, by having the forethought yourself, you mean that you did it because I told you to in the email. (laughs) Yeah, and I checked the – I always make a point of this because – my European friends, like Terpster, doesn't remember that the time change happened, and he shows up an hour late. So I thought, I can't do that to Patrick. I wouldn't feel good You're about it. You're very kind. Yeah. Very kind. Thank you, Mr. Johnston. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bezier. How about that? <laughs> that that's fair enough. Right. Uh, and Charles, it's, uh, if I uh, understand correctly, four in the morning for you. Yeah, yeah, it is four in the morning. Oh, no, it's quarter past four now, so that's oh. okay then, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, so it's fine. Thank you so much for uh, making the effort of waking up at this ungodly hour uh, to be with us. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Lit- quite literally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the weather, I, I'm guessing you're uh, starting to get uh, – did we say you're in uh, Australia? I don't think we did. Um, so you're you're – sort of uh, getting into summer now oh yeah late late spring so uh we had a uh, oh god you're gonna have to get siri to work but this one out. we had a <laughs> okay, 30 degree 30 degree celsius day uh yesterday oh um, well that's yeah celsius <laughs> that's fine he can get his own yeah. siri if he wants to understand it <laughs> Uh, and it's it's starting to warm up a little bit, but we still get the cold mornings, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, it's a great time of year down here at uh, at the start of spring. Or hang on, no, it's not the start of spring; it's the end of spring. Yeah, heading into summer. Oh, very nice. Weird. Mm. Cool. All right. So you know what? We have a lot of uh, stuff to talk about. So let's uh, let's make a start. Let's make a start with what I think has definitely been the biggest um, topic here in Europe, but I'm guessing it might not be for, for you guys, for either of you guys. Um, so in the past few days, uh, the, the biggest thing has absolutely been the um, EU debt crisis and that absolutely insane idea that Mr. George Papandreou, I don't know how you pronounce it in English, um, the... Oh, the yeah. The Prime Minister of Greece uh, thought up, he, he wanted to do a referendum on... Okay, so let's back up. I'm sure everyone knows this and probably much better than me, but uh, I'll just summarize so that uh, we're all on the same page. Basically, Greek, Greece is more or less going bankrupt. And uh, yeah. we've talked about this before. And they need help to pay off their debts and stay afloat. And uh, the EU is very divided uh, on how to help the Greeks. And... Um, and uh, or some even say that we shouldn't help the Greeks because they're responsible for the the, uh, the woes of their economy. But the majority uh, decided that we should because, uh, of course, the European Union is heavily tied to the survival of of, the, uh, of Greece. And uh, after a few weeks of excruciatingly difficult debates, um, the EU came together, decided to half the. Um, uh, debt of uh, Greece and basically make a, a whole package to help them out. And everyone seemed to agree that that was probably the best solution and that the the matter was looking up when everything was 
looking horrible in the past. So attached to that package was uh, supervision from um, administrative types from the EU that would make sure that Greece, uh, at least the government, would not be spending the money unduly and reducing uh, spending where it needed to be reduced, basically making sure that what is essentially our money, uh, the money from France, Germany, everyone else in the uh, EU, wouldn't be spent uh, in ways that it shouldn't have been, which was even more justified in the eyes of, I would think, everyone except the Greeks, uh, since we had already given uh, money and it kept not being enough. So mm. they, they would spend it and they would not be out of the woods and keep dragging down the EU with them. So that was great, uh, fantastic, everyone was happy. And then, um, out of nowhere, a few days ago, Papandreou said, you know what? Uh, okay, more context. In the streets of uh, Greece, it's basically pandemonium. Um, everyone is uh, unhappy about the, the whole situation. Uh, they, the Greek people don't seem to understand why they would need to submit to overseeing from um, the EU or anyone else, they have uh, a feeling that this is... We, we've discussed this in the show and uh, before, but basically they have a feeling that uh, this is being done to them as opposed to something that they brought up, uh, upon themselves, which is interesting because I've talked to different people and a, a lot of what they are telling me seems to confirm the fact that really it's... The, the responsibility of the Greek people um, and, of course, you know, the government and maybe some big corporations, but mostly at least the, the Greek people were not foreign to that whole thing. Uh, what we said last time, which was uh, making trying as much as possible to uh, get paid in cash so as to avoid paying taxes and things like that, of course, is not a good thing. And everyone was taking part in it in the country. Mm. Okay, so... Papandreou decides, from the pressure of the street, you know what, we are going to have a, refer a referendum to see if we actually want the help of the EU. And, of course, this is a, a, dr a, a completely um, uh, catastrophic uh, turn of events, because if they say yes, yes, of course, Papandreou uh, is strengthened in his position and his gov government is uh, legitimized but if he doesn't it's 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 a catastrophe for Greece and a catastrophe for the EU at the same time because it's not like if they did refuse that help from the EU all of a sudden another solution would fall on their lap they would still be going bankrupt uh my my girlfriend or fiance should i say uh, keeps joking that they should sell a few islands uh, and uh you know reimburse their debt like that and she's joking of, of course but they it would almost become the solution that they could have it, they they don't have any other solution and rejecting the help of the eu which is offering to cut their debt in half and help them in other ways is suicidal. And for me, I'm going into the personal thing, but I think it was echoed in the media and in other people's sentiment. It seems like Papandreou was being cowardly and not holding, uh, you know, a, a, the, the right um, policy and caving to the street's demands with no actual benefit to that caving beyond, 
you know, not being the bearer of bad news. It was something that made me really angry because it was such a, an irrational way of approaching it. It was just a cowardly move uh, uh, bowing to the pressure of the street when they don't seem to understand, they don't seem to grasp the, gravi- the, 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 the terrible situation that they're in and the way out, if that's even a way out. Well, it sounds, um, it sounds to me like there's a lot of personal um, personal mistakes that added up to a giant macro mistake. But nobody who yeah. are, nobody on the personal level wants to take credit for something that big. And certainly that nation's leaders don't want to make political suicide and yeah. be, the, like you said, the bearer of this terrible yeah. news. So in the, in the past – so that was, you know, uh, thunder has had struck uh, in the past few days. And then Papandre, who sort of – I guess everyone gave him calls and very stern, uh, had very stern conversations, and he decided not to go ahead with it, had a vote in the parliament, and the parliament voted to, you know, uh, renewed its trust in the government, basically. So he now has some sort of legitimacy going with it. But that was, okay, I've been speaking for like, I don't know, five minutes. So that was the big... (laughs) Thing, the huge uh, news that happened in the past few weeks as the result, a result of slightly less huge news, if you can believe it, of the failing of the EU if Greece doesn't get helped in the past, uh, in, in the last weeks before that. Uh, so, huge news here. Huge news here, dude. Big, oh, big. cool. Oh, oh, yeah. The U.S. is all over this. This is a. Uh I mean, this is this is a weird. Uh, we're having like deja vu kind of with this because mm. this is a weird sort of mirror to what we um, went through and, and in many ways are still going through uh, since you know early '08, uh, since really before the you know our regime change, um, and uh, it's a big deal. And there's a lot of talk here about how much of a ripple effect did the economy. The, the, the drop and the changes in the economy here have on the European market, how much of that is on us? You know, what is what is that ripple effect? What is it that Greece actually does? What do they import? What do they export? Why? What? What is what do they actually produce to make them a viable nation with trade status? And that question is really hard to answer, to be honest. There's not so there's not a wait lot. a second so, there. You're saying that the, the news reports are focusing on actual like exploring of the reasons behind the 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 what's happening as in it, are, is the u.s responsible uh, is the u.s economy rather responsible for what's happening in europe now oh sure there's definitely talk about it. i mean there, there are arguments on both sides there's some that are saying man mm. uh, i've heard some people say in and these are all pundits and people who aren't you know journalists necessarily but they're people who are weighing in on it. i've heard some say uh this sort of thing which is well, how's it feel, Europe? You know, how, how do you how's it like? How's it feel to be like us? You know, and deal with this. And then others are saying, whoa, 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 back back down a, little, a minute. We live now in a global economy that is not immune to the mm. ripple effect. And if if Japan takes a major dive, we all feel it. If South Korea takes a dive, we all feel it. And in mm. and in you know, if the U.S. takes a dive, everyone really feels it. And I, yeah, I, it's I there's no way of getting that. around that. And so. This idea, it's generally, the consensus generally is that, yeah, it's the, the boat c- continues to rock back and forth and these, the, the, these effects are all, you know, tied to each other. Nobody's necessarily laying blame on anybody. That isn't really the conversation. It's like, ah, oh, mm. the U.S. is responsible for everything. Well, no, we just happen to be 
you know, the big kid on the block who took the biggest hit and then mm. that hit translated to all these other hits. But but there's also a lot of talk about why you know, in, in Europe there's there's a sense or, or or okay, let me tell you our perspective. We see this whole thing going down and when I say we I mean collectively. I I think I'm still sort of trying to get my head around which way I would go. But the idea of bailing somebody out has a pretty sour taste for everybody over here right now. Mm. Um, because we've tried, we, we did and tried that the people primarily responsible for the meltdown of the, of our economy in 2008 have never been held to account. Um, they continue to have high paying jobs with crazy bonuses and no one spent a minute in jail, um, on wall street or anywhere else. Uh, but, but that has translated to a lot of sort of civil unrest and the resurgence of uh, civil disobedience in the form of the Occupy um, mm. stuff, which is yeah, a huge we'll, we'll deal get, here. We'll get into that in a minute. I think it's the, yeah. the two are intimately uh, linked. Agreed. But uh, before we, we get to that, um, what about Australia? I mean, certainly, it's it's if it's a, you know impacting us and the U.S. I'm sure you must be feeling the the sting, or at least you know the um, reports on it. Certainly getting reports on it, and it is uh, fairly significant news here. The um, impacts of 2008 and the GFC were felt in Australia, but uh, we weren't uh, brought to our knees, if you like, in the same way as uh, I, I think the, the, the sense in the United States was that something had gone very, very seriously and badly wrong. Um, we managed to maintain a reasonably robust uh, economic profile over that period of time. Um, yeah, I but. have to say, for for those who don't know, um, the, whatever sins the the U.S. were uh, guilty of in that um, meltdown, we you were saying, Scott, we don't really lay blame on anyone, and I think we probably would have if we we in Europe hadn't been guilty of the same sins. Right. So yeah, right. it was it we're definitely all in the in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but uh, very, very conscious here that uh, you talk about being a big kid on the block and the, the EU and the United States are certainly big kids on the block and we are not. We are actually quite a small kid on the block in economic terms. Though I was quite pleased to see that we did get a seat at the G20 summit, which, uh, which uh, uh, made me feel wonderful. Uh, the, uh, the, um, the, the sense, though, is that if things go very, very pear-shaped in the EU, we will suffer. So uh, the way that the events are reported are uh, sort of watching a car crash in slow motion. Um, we're very aware of what's going on. We're aware of the bailout package that was put together by France and Germany. Uh, we're aware of uh, Papandreou's uh, brinksmanship around the referendum, and we're aware of the uh, the implications that that has for for the EU. Um, are we intimately involved in the uh, uh, all the issues that are going on? Uh, probably not. We're we're waiting to to see whether. Uh, it has lasting effects on the European economy and therefore the world economy and therefore our economy. Um, so it's so are you like the way it's reported? Uh, are you you like sort of standing on the beach on the sand, looking at the wave coming Very in, wondering so. if it's going to turn into a tsunami? That's a delightful metaphor. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> 
it's wow. uh, it's been reported as a 6.2 on the Richter scale, and we're uh, we're wondering how close it was to the surface and what sort of wave it's going to mm. create. Um, mm. it, 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 that's it, that's exactly the way it's being reported here. Uh, it, there's a bit of the oh those nutty Greeks, what the hell are they up to? Oh, mm. the French are back helping them out again. What are the Germans up to? So mm. what's interesting is that Britain's been very quiet in this. Yeah, they're just they're hugging their pound for dear life and just. Yeah, hoping for the best. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. They are really quiet about it. That's that. That is getting talked a lot about over here. Is that mm. Britain's staying weirdly aloof? And maybe that's not. Maybe we're getting it wrong. Maybe I'm not getting well, the right impression. But no. Well, I mean, definitely France and and Germany are the two most you know the biggest players in this and the the most vocal. Uh, it's probably also because, uh, as you're saying, Scott, they're you know still on the pound, so it doesn't affect them as much as it would affect us uh, if the the euro you know the trust in the euro goes down um, but um, yeah there, there's there i i have to say when we heard about um the the papandreou thing the referendum there was definitely a wave of anger like genuine anger of papandreou and the greeks in general um messing things up and i want to use a stronger term here but i won't because scott's chaste ears uh are, are listening um <laughs> yeah, but you know <laughs> and, and that was i, I went on on uh, google plus and sort of uh voiced my concern uh it's sort of wondering what the hell was happening and um it, i think it people the, the people in our countries are were actually angry at what was happening. Do you guys, I'm I'm sure, Scott, you don't, but uh, uh, Charles, maybe, do you guys discuss these issues, like, among friends and outside of the news uh, being reported, or is it why, not? Why that? do you say yeah, you, you're sure I'm don't? Or um, that I don't? I don't know. I just I just figure the occupy things would op- occupy <laughs> the conversations uh, more than you know. I don't I don't imagine you guys going you know meeting for maybe it's me being bigoted, uh, but I don't imagine you guys meeting for a barbecue um, in in Utah and going like, huh? So how about those Greeks, huh? Uh, no, no, it comes up. I, I talk. It comes up all the time in conversation. Oh, and now, okay. it, a lot of it is tied to. There's a lot. Of, there's a sense over here. It's like, ah, oh, the Occupy Wall Street that spread to everything else, and mm. and the craziness that happened in Oakland. And uh, I don't even know if you guys heard about that over there. But it's just all this crazy Occupy stuff. And then anytime anything like this comes up on the world stage, we go, oh my gosh, look, it's just sort of a spreading thing. Like, how soon will it be that we see? sort of an occupy greece thing happening but then again we're aware that the you know the the greek people are are kind of complicit in a lot of this and i mean it's just a lot of a lot of really complicated issues obviously but it's all sort of tied to this this okay. arab spring slash occupy this slash you know take power back from the government uh the 99 need a voice all this sort of stuff and it's it's all right. sort of tied to that so yeah it's a big it's a bigger deal here than you think okay fair enough and uh, our barbecue conversations aren't aren't focused on Greece. I'm sorry to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so see, I had it all backwards. <laughs> um, so let's let's dive into the Occupy thing. And um, first of all, um, my first question would be: Are the U.S. aware that this really started as the uh, Los Indignados movement uh, initially, or? Is it something that you think originated? Um, I, in- I, I'm sure that it's like anything else. You know, if you 
If you're going to, you know, if a comic book, it sounds weird, so hear me out. But if a okay, comic book that, I don't know where you're going. but uh, if, okay. if a comic book publisher decides I'm, that. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this ride, I'm sure. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody at Marvel says, you know, we need more of a Batman-style character. We should make one of those. Uh, it's, it's, it's still, it, they can kind of call it original and say, well, yeah, the Punisher or whoever they want to be sort of Batman-ish in tone is is their own creation but still this got an inspiration from somebody else i think you go back and protest history and there are there are things in our history that this is inspired from there are things in ancient history this is inspired from there are things in the okay. tea party movement which is totally opposed to this that that's true this, this actually it's taken yeah. from so okay so, i so like the, your, your comic book this, metaphor yeah nobody here it's a terrible metaphor but nobody i don't think anybody here in the movement or outside of it is looking at the movement and going Oh yes, this is the most unique, original thing ever. No, there, it's not even talk about that. It's just sort of yeah. It's not the point, I guess. Yeah, yeah I was like, I was just trying to be a little bit trollish. Um, so can you can you tell us exactly what it is for those of us? Uh, I'll I'll talk about how it's received here afterwards. But uh, can you take us through it, what you know of its uh, uh, inception and how it is today, briefly? Yeah, I, and I and I wish I knew more of the really core details, like the dude who who originally sort of made the push to to do the Occupy Wall Street thing, who organized that with others. I don't remember his name, but that all started as a way to say, look, the the working class, the middle class, the people in this country who put forty plus hours a week into their job and can barely hold on to that job and have housing prices and, and, and stuff that are out of whack and all janky and the housing, you know, the housing bubble bursting hurt them most of all. Yet the 1% of Americans who make the most money, the rich in other words, the millionaires, continue to have lower tax rates, continue to um, have the most power, continue to to get all the big bonuses. In other words, they're... They are, they they ha they actually kind of won during that during that uh, crash, mm -hmm. while everybody else suffered, lost jobs, you know, can't pay off tuition loans, can't even get into college because they can't afford it. So it's this ninety nine percent versus the one sort of mentality, and they just don't want to take it anymore. And it's an interesting movement because it's not as much it's not as politically motivated as say the Tea Party movement or others. It is more socially motivated. It is a push to say. This just isn't fair. Um, there are tax is it, laws. Is ahead, it recognized as such by the um, by both parties, or is it seen as a more you know? No, left no, no. no. They, they, of course, of course, what happens is the 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 Tea Partiers on the right have ta have taken kind of offense to this. They think it's a um, they think it's just a big hippie movement full of scoundrels and misfits, and and they're wrong. Um, sadly, it's it's made of uh, young and old and and middle aged. Uh, you know, working people who mm. are from all walks of life. There are doctors out on protest. There are uh, clerks out on protest. There are people who work at Walmart out on protest. There are people from all walks of life who are a part of this. And so they've tried real hard to spin it like, oh, this is just like hippies or something. Mm. Um, but they're, they, they keep losing that fight. It, it's, it, in fact, it makes them look really ridiculous when networks like Fox News and others who have a right-wing slant Uh, refer to this movement um, in that way because it just makes them look stupid. It also, in, in a lot of very real ways, mirrors the Tea Party movement. I mean, the Tea Party movements, it, it, their their stated core values are really not that different hmm. than than the ones you know than these Occupy guys. The major difference is 
it's just about who you're directing the anger at. And the, the Tea Partiers tend to direct the anger at the, uh, the administration, the current administration and, and Democrats in general. Whereas the Occupy stuff is not really a respecter of your politics. They're directing it at, at greed <laughs> and at, Scott, you know, at, at miscarriages of justice, I suppose. Scott, I'm, I'm interested. Does, is there a lot of clarity around what the Occupiers in Occupy Wall Street actually stand for? Or uh, is it a fairly nebulous set of ideals that they're, uh, that they're promoting? Well, it depends on who you ask, right? Like some... <laughs> Some say, well, yes, it's these specific things, and others say, no, it's just this general sense of, you know, we're not going to take it anymore. We don't know what we really want ultimately, but all we know for sure is that it, there is a, it's uneven. The fairness isn't there. You know, we're we're now beca- we're becoming a nation where one percent of the people make all the money, and everybody else is screwed. And so you can see on the capitalist side of that, people are like, well, those people making all that money earn that money. But then on the other side, they said, well, no, you guys screwed the banks and screwed the housing market and twisted it and janked up the whole world economy uh, purely based on, on greed. And then they come back with another answer. And so there's a lot of that going on. But generally, it's like, you know, we, the, we are turning, if we're not careful, if we don't stop now or do something different now, we are going to turn into a nation of, a very few haves and a ton of have-nots, and the have-nots won't have opportunities to change that. And the argument on the other side is, well, pip, you know, pull up your bootstraps and and go for it. Everyone has an opportunity to, to do whatever they can. And and there are the 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 Occupy people's argument is that is becoming less and less true. And I I'm kind of I'm torn on a lot of the issues. Um, I kind of think they have a lot of really really good points, but on the other hand, I also think that it's it's so easy with with a protest like this to just oversimplify the complicated mess, right? And and I'm sure it's, it's true in Greece. It's a lot more complicated, complicated and nuanced than anybody is probably giving it credit for. And it's too easy for news and media to just do these quick sound bites to sum things up in nice, tidy little bundles that aren't really representative of the of the very complicated mess in front of them. And that, to me, is the biggest problem. As it's really hard to become educated. It's really hard to know what a solution is or does or what effects does that solution have that you're not thinking of. So it's it's kind of a mess, but it does feel like, what else are you going to do? You either protest or you just sit there and take it. So they're protesting. Hmm. Um Charles, is it uh, a big deal in the in Australia? Because uh, we were saying earlier, it, it originated somewhere else. But these Occupy movements are sort of uh, gaining steam a little bit everywhere, and by everywhere, I mean in, in the whole world. Um, what about Australia? Uh, it, well, certainly they they have been used here over the past weeks. Uh, there was an Occupy Melbourne movement which took over uh, a, a public space called Federation Square here for a period of uh, a couple of weeks. Um, your uh, little intro there about whether we were aware that uh, it started with the uh, Los Indignados movement, absolutely not. That was news to me, never heard of it before. Um, I, I could be living under a rock, that is true, but uh, that was absolute news to me. Uh, that's the, the thing in uh, in Spain, actually, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. 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 Well, well, you right. you Googled it in the meantime, didn't you? If you, if I you did call, Google it in the meantime. <laughs> if you call the earth a rock, then literally you guys do live under a rock. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I guess it depends which angle you're looking at the map, but 
<laughs> There's only one w- one angle to look at that map, Scott. Don't be ridiculous. Damn Northern Hemisphere supremacist. You can go and get stuff. I know, right? <laughs> anyway. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, it, 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 it was um, the reason I asked whether there was clarity around uh, around what the issues were and what they stood for was uh, it, it was um, what appeared to happen in Melbourne at least was a, a group of people did the Occupy thing because it was a thing that was happening around the world and there wasn't an enormous amount of clarity around what it was that they were actually protesting for. Layer that into the fact that Australians by and large aren't big protesters. It's just not what we do. So uh, when something like this happens the vast majority of the population is kind of looking at them, scratching their heads, saying, so what are you doing? What is this all about? Why are you there? What should we be paying attention to? Are there any big issues? And, and again, they don't have a clear answer. They don't have a clear answer. Uh, mm. the, the, the answer that comes out is we want real democracy. We want the voice of the people to be heard. And, and that doesn't ring true to a lot of Australians insofar as we've actually got a pretty robust liberal democratic de- democracy down here. We, we have uh, reasonably stable elections, reasonably stable government. And I say reasonably stable because the government's actually not all that stable right now. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's, it's not a place that, that is volatile in, in the normal course of events. And interestingly, what happened and the thing that... that didn't get a lot of coverage or maybe did get the most coverage, but for me was the most concerning, was the Occupy movement went on for uh, a couple of weeks in Federation Square and was forcibly broken up by the police. Now, that's unusual. Um, uh, there were, you know, yeah, right, I, I remember um, and all that kind of stuff that, that went in there. Uh, part I, of the reason I remember there, was, there were uh, protests in Egypt, I believe, um, <laughs> to to support... Uh, the guys in Australia who got, uh, hey. which is like, okay, if Egypt is supporting you because there's too much, uh, you know, oppression in your country, there's something wrong. But yes, but but um, in, in the general population, uh, that was not seen as anything particularly draconian. It was more mm. seen as, oh uh, uh, yeah, these guys have had their say. Time to get them to move on. Really, okay. really interesting dynamic, and it says, I think, a lot about. Um, how social justice is viewed as the priority in countries like Australia and potentially like the United States as well. Um, I'm not exactly sure whether you get the same sense, Scott. Um, one of the reasons that uh, they were moved on forcibly was because we had a, a visit from our, uh, he says, cringingly head of state. Queen Elizabeth came down uh, and part of her, uh, her visit involved the areas that the Occupy movement were in and I think uh, essentially they wanted them out of there by the time that the Queen came down. Oh, mm. I see. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. That, that sort of stuff, if that if they were well actually this actually one of the problems here is we had there was an occupy oakland movement in oakland california that turned into a near riot and part of that was because the police decided to uh you know bust them up and move them out and the problem with that is is we, we are a nation that for all of our strengths and weaknesses one of our key tenants that everybody has a really strong feeling about is that everybody should have the right to peaceful peacefully protest Mm. Um, and if you're getting broken up, damn it, that's the government pulling, you know, pulling their weight and, and, and not letting you have your constitutional rights. Here's the problem, though. Whenever I hear about that, again, it's never that simple. I guarantee you there were people that were outrageous at this thing. I guarantee you there are people that were breaking stuff, ruining stuff, hurting people. 
hurling stuff, whatever. Okay. I, I'm sure of it. Um, are you sure? Was it reported on, or it was? Just, it was. Okay, it, it surely was. But the but the but there's definitely been a slant towards. Oh my gosh, I can't believe the police broke up that protest. Hmm. And not as much on. Well, wait, why? Why exactly did they? Again, I just don't think it's that simple. Um, and I'm okay with not. I may not even know for sure. You know, if they got too unruly or whatever, I just would prefer the dialogue to be more investigatory and less. Oh, see what they did, you know, that kind of mm. thing. Um, but but on the whole, most of the other stuff has taken part. There was a huge um, Occupy Salt Lake City here like two weeks ago, huge rally downtown. So it's reaching everywhere. Did you go? Uh, I didn't. Um, in you fact, didn't it was the weekend us. we were at BlizzCon. That was, oh, the, okay. that, was that weekend. So I had clearly... <laughs> Occu- Occupy BlizzCon. <laughs> yeah, clearly video games trumps, uh, you know, political uh, security. <laughs> But anyway, they they, um, they they did a big deal here, and they've been doing it everywhere, and I don't see it stopping. Um, I, again, you guys kind of asked, what's the end game for them? I don't I don't know for sure, and mm. I don't. I'm not hearing any clear one voice thing. Partially because, mm. unlike Tea Partiers, there there is no central leadership in this movement. Well, the there, w- there wasn't with the Tea Party at the beginning, was there? Well, there kind of there was more more than this. Um, mm. Okay, and, and there's not even quickly, one person to. Right. To, yeah. There's no one guy to get on the stage and go, all right, this is what we're, here's our plan, mm. this is what we're doing. It's all being, being very yeah. pocketed. And, you know, and that's pretty bad for them, ultimately. I don't know. It, it's very it interesting. It's very difficult to have a dialogue about it if, that's you, true. if you don't have a, uh, a uh, focus, a uh, focal point, a, a leader. Uh, it, right. yeah. uh, you, you, you mentioned how do we have a dialogue about it. I actually don't know that we do. I think you're right about the complexity of the issues involved. Uh, there, there, there are hundreds, hundreds and thousands of dialogues that potentially need to happen to get any clarity around mm. this. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the way you're describing all this. Um, basically, for, for a number of reasons for me as a French person. So, first of all, um, we, we've been hearing about it a lot, of course. Um, some some uh, from the news and uh, some because, you know, now the news travels through social networks and it's impossible to avoid if you're um, connected in any way. Uh, the reason it's really interesting is that, first of all, There is the the kinds of messages that you are talking about, you know, we want more democracy, we want less uh, injustice and things like that have historically in France been the messages of um, the the left-wing parties. And when I say left-wing, remember, we're not talking about communism. We're talking about socialism, which is a very different thing. It's a, it, socialism is about getting health care and education and uh, to an extent that is more, well, extreme than what you would think of in the U.S., but it's still not, you know, let's take the companies that do well and nationalize them and give the money to the people. That's something different. Uh, But so anyway, we, the the socialists have been talking about this for a long time, and we have the same kind of um, the, the guys from the other uh, end of the spectrum on the right wing will say, "Okay, that's all well and nice, but what are you actually talking about? What do you actually? What policies do you want? What uh, um, specific actions would you like to have put in place?" And of course, it's not always the time, but. Oftentimes, there are these kinds of messages, the kind of uh, revolt against uh, too much accumulated wealth. And 
protesting, as you guys know, is probably one of our best um, known traits and strengths. Yep. Yep. Unless uh, you have friends. rhymes do it, then it's trouble. But, yeah. Then, well, they carry signs. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just less of a chance to get your message across. Is all. That's true. Yeah. Um, and, and so in this case, we have not had an Occupy movement. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, as I was saying, because the Occupy movements seem to um, stand for everything that our left wing stands for, and they haven't taken up the, the, the banner. Maybe it's because of what's happening with Greece and sort of the, the debate is, I don't know, it wouldn't be, we're already trying to bail out Greece and we're sort of a, in a very serious situation in Europe going like, all right. Now is not the time to – I don't know how to put it exactly, but it, it's sort of a crisis moment now, and we our mind is occupied by this. So maybe we don't have a, a, the mind share to worry about creating a, 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 an Occupy Paris or whatever um, movement. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting that it didn't spring up in France because it would be a very, um, very appropriate – climate, I would think, political uh, climate for something like that to happen. Or maybe we have also, because I'm saying sometimes you have these messages that are not very clear, but at the same time, the Socialist Party is a very organized one and a very serious and well-established party. So maybe we're seeing the, the people who do that already have a voice in the Socialist Party and already have a um, uh, their concerns championed politically. Uh, because when I think about it in, in the U.S., it seems to me that what the, that movement is, the ideals that they're defending are ideals that maybe in Europe partly and in France more widely, widely um, that, that we already have integrated in our political debate. And it's something that when we look at the U.S., we're thinking – you know, before the part, the the the, the move, these movements started, we we would think. So you guys don't have that. What's wrong with you? At least have that become an issue, be discussed. You know, I'm, what? Why don't you have these issues on the table? You know, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah. As usual, I'm probably <laughs> not being very clear, but I'm trying to paint a, a picture of how we're seeing this whole uh, this whole thing. Um, so, yeah, it, we're probably seeing it as, well, duh, of course you you should have that. You know, it, it seems obvious. Yeah, 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 no, you're right. Um, I mean, here's the thing about our system. Even the most ardent Democrat, the most, the, the Democrat who is the most socially liberal, the one closest to your version of socialism, okay? Even that guy wants the free market to decide he even that guy wants um as much independence from government control as possible uh he may think that more is needed than a, a republican mm. <clears throat> but he still believes very much in this idea of of so let me let me correct you for a second here yeah. um even our our socialists are for the most part very much for the free market you know it's not like it's it's for very uh, our socialist or our right – actually, our socialists are not that far from your Democrats in some some ways. 
our right-wing guys like Sarkozy, for example, is probably very close to what um, Obama was defending with his, uh, you know, uh, Obamacare, uh, as it's been beautifully named. Uh, Even the socialists are for the free market and for capitalism. They would say, okay, some things are too important to leave to the randomness of uh, the, the, the open market alone, like healthcare, uh, education, things like that, because they believe, and I have a tendency to agree, that these areas, some of these areas need tight control. Uh, not tight control, but some measure of control. So I'm, I'm just saying that, again, socialism is not communism. With socialism, you have some of your most important services that are regulated by the government. You don't have no free market. The The basis of our societies is everywhere free market. Right. Right. <clears throat> right. And, and I, I, yeah, I don't want to lump. I'm not trying to say, yeah. oh, well, France is all about, let's just pay, pay for everything. If anything, mm. it's Greece who's moving, to, moving toward <laughs> this. But, but, but what I'm getting at is, is there is a sense anyway that, that it, that this whole uh, from the right that this whole movement is a is a is a, a beggar on the street looking for money looking for a free ride okay and it's unfortunate because I don't think that's what people are looking for at all they're looking for stability uh, in markets and other things so that they can get their they can get their mm. work done they can work and work hard and be you know honest tax paying law abiding citizens and do what they need to mm. do. And they feel like there's this, but they're being labeled as you know just a bunch of hippies who are don't want to work for their for their way. And so they're it's unfortunate because I you know, I think that they're dead wrong about that. I think the right is harping on something that just doesn't exist. So they're not finding anyone to echo their their pleas in the oh sure in the sure right I mean, wing. No, the I, I'm asking specifically in the Republican Party. Right, there's really not, and part of that is because. Mm. There is a, it's, this is the problem with the American political system right now. It is so pick a side. It's, it's, right. it's pick a side and get off the fence. And, and there are, of course, there are some out there like Mitt Romney who's running for president. He'll probably mm. get the Republican nomination, Utah connection. Anyway, he, <laughs> he is, uh, and he's a really smart, very successful businessman with all kinds of great experience under his belt. He was a well thought of governor of the generally liberal state of Massachusetts and did some really cool stuff there. He's also had a health care plan in Massachusetts that eerily mimics what people call, call Obamacare, which a lot of his Republican rivals you know, constantly harp on, as if it's some sort of terrible thing, that he came up with a decent way to deal with health care problems. Um, but, and he has, he has at least publicly tried to retain a fairly open mind about this and has said in the most recent debate, he thinks, more about the, he, he thinks a lot more about what to do um, to help the 99% in this country than he ever does the 1%, which is a huge nod to this movement, an mm. enormous nod. In fact, if anything, he, he kifed their very slogan and used it in conversation. Right. And, and, so, and some are seeing that as weakness. Some are seeing that as a great strength. I, I see any, any, any Republican or Democratic uh, candidate who is willing to look for compromise, look for some, something in the middle, is always going to get my vote? Always. That's the guy I want. And unfortunately, there is a sense that that's not cool in this country, that you need to pick a side. And if you pick that side, you therefore have to be staunch about every single piece of policy that ever state is important to them, whether it be abortion rights or immigration law or whatever it may be. 
whatever the hot point is, you have to side on that side, and you can never sort of you know disagree. And then again, this is the same party or the same political system who, in 2008, when President Bush decided to do the first wave of bailouts, the initial one that sure. was so expensive and so useless. Um, but nobody, nobody on the on the right talks about that now. They just talk about Obama since. That's it. They act mm. like that never happened. It never existed. Okay. I mean, it was just bad timing for them. But they, they've successfully, with their base, covered their eyes. And it sucks. Because mm. it's just not honest. It's not fair. It's, it's pretending the elephant's not in the room. And not just an elephant, but an elephant missing one leg, uh, a festering eye, and has bad gas. I mean, it's just right there. And okay. I know it's there. I'm like, look, you guys, the elephant's right there. It's farting on your couch. And all they can do is go... Or Obama, blah, 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 you know, and just it's ridiculous. I hate it. Um, That's politics. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you would say that because I don't believe it is. Uh, for as bad as our political system in France is, um, That's not fair. I don't think it's bad is my point. I think there is a way. It's never going to be pretty, but it doesn't have to be this cynical, horrible, uh, never working thing. You know, in France, there is, of course, we're never happy with what the other side does. And we're always but it is a, a healthy usually or not always, but uh, some be. of the time, at least healthy yeah. political debate. Uh, with real issues being discussed, not all the time again, but most of the time there is... And that's the basis of our... I mean, our, our country is based on those yeah. principles you're espousing right there. And that's when I get angry, when we forget that it isn't about who's right or wrong. Mm. It really isn't. It's about... It is about the battle of just keeping the ship straight and getting your ideas in there and and testing things and failing and then succeeding and then trying. Again. It's it's all about the fight to get there, not some weird uh, utopian endgame that nobody can define. Mm. And and I wish they would remember that more. I mean, we've successfully turned your word social, socialism in this country into something akin to what communism meant in the 70s yeah. and 80s. We really have. When you say... Uh, yes, our Socialist Party in France, a little piece of me, even though I've risen above this and I see it differently, mm. a small piece of me goes, Ugh. Yeah, socialism, yeah. it's like <laughs> communism. So, so we, they have successfully bred that into people because of just the constant rhetoric. And it, and it, and it sucks because then it's just this demonized thing that, that nobody yeah. really understands anyway. And all we see it is this monster looming and we have to do everything in our power to fight it. Mm. And, and it really is frustrating because... You know, even what I'm saying right now is going to have some people probably email me and go, why don't you just go to France, you damn socialist? That's what's going to happen. <laughs> and what they're, they're missing the point. There are things a socialist could tell me that I could really benefit from that, per, that perspective yeah. and their experience and something they've learned. It doesn't mean I'm a socialist. It doesn't mean anything. It just means everybody's got a perspective. And we have, we have a nation and a government that should be able to integrate these things well. And, yeah. and get further down that fight, that path, that path, that battle to this undefined future. And I, you know, it's frustrating, really, yeah. for a lot of us. It's I guess the the most frustrating we, thing in your political system is that discussion seems to be dead. It's all about rhetoric and none of about discussion. Which rhetoric is there, you know, everywhere, no matter what you do. It's one of the pillars of politics. But another one is also debate, and it, that part seems to not be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Charles, I cut you off. 
And that, that's all right. I'm used to it by now, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because of the lag is what you mean, not because yeah. of my oh, yes, tendencies yes, to speak over people. Right. Okay. Yeah. The, um, the, the, you talk about rhetoric and, and, uh, and actual policy and actual fact. There's, a, there's been an ongoing debate for, God, I don't know, about a decade here about, um, about immigration policy in particular to do with asylum seekers. And I'm not going to go into the details of that because it will bore you both um, a lot. Okay. Uh, the, the summary, though, that's germane to this particular discussion is that both political parties, we have uh, ostensibly a conservative and a more uh, socialist party here, have, have merged their policies to be so close together as to be indistinguishable. Um, and it is all about the rhetoric. What never makes a blip on most of the public discussion around this issue is the actual facts of the matter. Hmm. People don't have any appreciation at all of what is actually at stake when we're talking about asylum seekers and refugees coming to Australia. All they have is the fear and the rhetoric and the and the and the panic mongering and the political point scoring that's going on. And um, I, I, I don't. You, you spoke earlier, Scott, about fence sitting and taking a side and taking a stand. One of one of probably the. Uh, the, the worst things that's happening in the Australian political climate at the moment is that making a distinction and a choice in, in our political system between the two major parties is essentially moot nowadays. It's, it's all about uh, uh, who's going to give me the extra five bucks in my pocket at the, end of, uh, at the end of the week because they've got a slightly lower tax rate or there's a benefit here or, or whatever it happens to be and potentially how a little bit of government spending is happening. But uh, around social policy and around ideology, there is essentially nothing to choose between the two parties, and and it, it's a very very. But on that specific issue, on the specific issue of asylum seekers, yeah, it's on that specific yeah. issue that the you know the policies uh, and, have merged and. and and the range of other things as well. Uh, okay. We start talking about healthcare for the sake of the argument, and, and we are much closer to your world, Patrick, than uh, than the United States. We have mm. uh, a pretty stolid uh, public healthcare system. But it, again, it's all about how do we do that more efficiently, not do we seriously extend services, but, you know, where do we save the extra couple of million dollars or whatever it happens to be? Uh, how do we redirect that money? It, and it, it, there, there's no real distinction between uh, what is socially responsible or irresponsible or economically responsible or mm. irresponsible from in demarking the two parties. They're, they're very, very similar in, in so many areas. Mm. And as a voter, it makes it really, really difficult to decide where I'm going to head. Hmm. Well, I'm sure, you know, there are, I don't want to make it seem like France is this idealistic, you know, heavenly democracy where politicians are all, uh, you know, justly fighting for their beautiful ideas. And certainly there is some fear mongering here and some uh, dem uh, demagogy, demagogy, yeah. Demagogy, okay, That'll that. In, demagoguery. In, demagoguery, know. thank you, mm -hmm. uh, there. But, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, um, let's move on to something else because uh, we have been at this for a while already. And it's very interesting. And thank you, uh, Occupy Movement, for launching us on that uh, discussion. <laughs> but let's move on to other things and uh, talk about the Middle East. Uh, I didn't mention, although many people have probably realized by now, that Turkey is not with us. He's no. not been hiding under his mic. 
he is uh, traveling somewhere. Uh, he's in Korea, I believe. And I told him, well, damn it, Turkey, you're going to wake up early and be with us for the show. And he said no. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm very disappointed. Uh, is he there for back, business, though. pleasure? Like, what's he doing? I believe you, he's... You, you've clearly found out who your real friends are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll make sure he knows that. Um but yeah, pleasure, I think. So oh, okay. um have fun without us, Turkey. Yeah. So yeah, basically I wanted to talk about uh the elections in uh, Tunisia and the death of Muammar Gaddafi. Mm. Which were also very big news. Uh so Gaddafi was arrested a few weeks back and then as um could have been expected, turned out that he wasn't alive anymore a few days later. Uh, and I say that with a hint of, how do I put it elegantly, um, cynicism in my voice, mm. because it seems that he was executed, which is not that surprising. Um, he was arrested by the... Um, CNT, I, uh, CNT is the French name for it, the National Council uh, Transition Council Forces, basically the new government um, forces. And yeah, he turned out um, dead. He turned up dead a few days after his, uh, his arrest with one of his sons. The other one, or one of the other ones, I'm not sure how many he had, um, uh, Saif al-Islam, now trying to negotiate with the um, uh, international uh, court to sort of surrender and not be taken. He's sort of uh, slipping between Nigeria and God knows where, uh, trying to avoid arrest and trying to negotiate to be surrendered uh, to the courts directly uh, for reasons that are understandable. But... Uh, so I'm being a little bit cynical, but I don't think anyone is really going to mourn uh, Gaddafi, and certainly not me. Um, the, the the news was obviously pretty big. I'm sure it was pretty big in uh, in the US and and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and Australia here. too. Um, mm-hmm. Here it was taken with how can I put it with. Pr- uh, pragmatism not even pragmatism it was neutral like it there wasn't any undue rejoicing um oh, i'm saying undue i'm taking this sort of um standoffish stance on on a guy dying even though he was a horrible tyrant and certainly if you know there's five people who deserve to die he was one of them um but yeah it was reported neutrally oh that all I say. I'll Here say. was very. It was very similar, to be honest. Um, it wasn't like the victory of democracy. Oh over... no, 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 okay. no. I mean, there's always talk no. of like uh, yeah. the people rose up and took the power back, and and there's there's always talk of that. But yeah, which but is true, and you know, essentially that's what it is, and it should be celebrated. But um... yeah, there just wasn't a there wasn't a oh, like the a Bin Laden death, which is I mm. think the last time I was on the show we talked about. Huh. Um, that was a different animal because you know there was this direct connection to of course us and it was this sort of revenge move for a lot of people but in the case of Gaddafi um 
he was a known tyrant. Nobody's nobody's sad about his 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 passing. Um, the president got up and said as much, and others have have echoed that on both sides of the aisle. In fact, if anything, it seems like the Gaddafi thing is one of the most agreed upon political issues of the year. Nobody mm-hmm. seems to have any sort of. <laughs> that wasn't to... turned into uh, <laughs> into a, a celebration and a well, debate. There is, there is a big push I mean, by the... some. Some people want to get a hold of his wardrobe. Um, I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> I would love to get one of those outfits if I could. Um, but yeah, very, it's very silly. Uh, nobody, nobody was sad. Nobody was freaking out. Nobody was in celebration mode either. It was just kind of a okay. Well, good. That's you know one more down. That's that's a problem and. Hmm. And uh, it, it, but it also there's a there's a little bit of unease about the brutality. I understand why he was treated that way. I understand that he was why he was killed under weird circumstances, and the, the phone the video phone stuff was kind of disturbing. I, I kind of get that if you're in the nation itself who was so mistreated. Um, but it still just kind of makes you go, yeah. But if you guys are going to start over and you want to be awesome yeah. in that region don't you kind of want to not be on his level you know what i mean like could, could yeah you rise above this i mean I, it's a utopian and i understand I, yeah. you know i live in star trek future but i, I still wish that <laughs> would happen more yeah i mean obviously france is uh, probably the least uh, qualified uh, democracy to be judging anything like that given that we basically beheaded uh you know our um, leaders a couple hundred years ago. So our revolution was incredibly, incredibly uh, bloody. And the beheading is one of, you know, the, the smallest part of the amount of, of, of vindication and blood that happened in the following uh, period. So given that compared to us, they're doing really, really well. But yeah, of course, they, I, I guess there's, you know, you can't help but thinking, uh, it, you know, trial maybe, and then oh. uh, Charles, please. Uh, very, very similar. Uh, yeah. It it happened. It was reported as having happened. Uh, uh, what also made the news was the um, was the response of our political leaders saying, oh, "Isn't that uh, that's happened? That's good. Let's move on." Uh, mm. And that so it was very, very big news for a day, and then it wasn't right. news after that. Is, mm. is, uh, and, and I get a sense that it was quite similar uh, in, in uh, both France and the United States. Um, hu- yeah, huge news for like a very it. short period of time as an event, but uh, but didn't have the uh, the same navel gazing as uh, Osama bin Laden's death did sure. for the sake of the argument, or for that matter, Saddam Hussein's death. Uh, it, um, yeah. Very much a uh, an event. Then now let's move on. It's almost like. You know, you're talking about uh, Saddam Hussein. Uh, I'm also thinking of uh, Ceausescu, um, which is a little bit older, but it's almost like, and that's personal. Maybe it's not, it's, I'm not reflecting, you know, the, the feeling of the French people in general, but it's almost like we're used to it. You know, mm. almost like mm. yeah. these, yeah. these uh, tyrants being overthrown by by their population going and hiding for a few weeks or a few months and finally getting caught up by the by the reality and getting what's coming to them basically um there is a bit of a sense that this was run to a script isn't there you know yeah it it was oh this is how it goes all right so the people will ask the dictator he'll go into hiding live in a hole somewhere for a while they'll find him and kill him that's just yep okay Check. We've done yeah, that. It does that seem to be the pattern, doesn't it? Or at least the, the reported pattern. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah, weird. Which, uh, yeah, I guess as as you know, horrible situations go. This is probably one of the 
best ones around because uh, it's it's a, I guess what I'm saying is it's a good thing that this is becoming a, 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 a imagine only a few months ago um, let's say a year and a half ago we would not even a year and a half it was a year ago um, that would not even have been possible to dream of and now the only one left is Syria so yeah, well what's Iran, happening is I guess, but, uh, people are people are figuring the ants are figuring out that they're stronger and in more numbers than the grasshoppers. I mean, not yeah. to pull out a Bugs Life comparison, but it's really true. <laughs> they really are. They're so, going, oh, my yeah. gosh, we can, take, we can take the power back. Now the, now, the part that we don't know yet, and we don't know in Egypt yet, we don't know anywhere yet, is what will the ants do in place of the grasshopper? Will they figure out yeah, a way? Sure. To, well, to we have truly a um, do something better or not. And that's, we have a sort of a, we have a sort of beginning of an answer there uh, with the elections in uh, Tunisia, which was another pretty big um, uh, piece of news. Uh, because, of course, Patrick, uh, just, the, just before we go into that, yeah? just before we go into that, um, I have a personal point to make. Okay, which is one, should one I be scared? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, okay. you can be scared if you like. Uh, <laughs> just referencing back to something that you said, which was if five people on the planet deserve to die, he's one of them. One of the things that, that really sticks in my craw a bit about how how uh, the death of Gaddafi, in fact, anyone else was reported, was that, um, and Scott, going back to your point about how, what does this say about how this nation is starting to rebirth itself, is uh, it concerns me quite a lot that uh, the death of somebody really gets celebrated. Um, it, 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 you know, I, I, I'm, what our opposition leader said uh, something along the lines of the world is a better place now that Gaddafi is dead. That might possibly be true. But what, in fact, I think is the point is the world is a better place now that Gaddafi is not in power, not necessarily that he is now cold and dead in the ground. Uh, and the, the 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 idea of revenge and 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 death and and killing just doesn't get us anywhere. But that's my personal point. So now we can move on. I no, I, I basically you're echoing uh, my feeling, and I think a, a lot of the people's feeling when uh, when uh, um, Bin Laden uh, was killed a few months ago. We we had that same discussion, and it's you know on a much grander scale even. Um, at that point, and I think this is sort of a mini ripple of that, and I certainly understand what you're saying. I think I, I feel the same thing. What you're saying about it's a better place now that he's dead, certainly it's true, but it would be the same better place if he was just in prison. So, Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's some finality to it. There is some... Yeah, there is a, yeah there he is can a, never come back. I guess that is... Yeah. yeah. Unless, you know, zombie apocalypse... <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Scott, have you got a uh, another uh, popular culture metaphor to bring Gaddafi back from the dead? Uh, I'll tell you what I do. I'll tell you what. Bugs life. If, if yeah. you could, if you could swap this all out for this isn't a good pop culture thing, but a good Hitler death is what I miss. And what I mean by that is get him so on the run, get him in their bunker so bad that it's the point that he commits suicide. That mm. to me is a better outcome because then the blood isn't on anyone's hands; it's on his own. You know, yes, I, I guess he gave up. He just said, "Up, oh, oh well, Yavor," and died. And <laughs> and everybody else was like, "Oh well, sweet, he's out of the picture." But we don't have to, you know. There's not going to be any picture yeah. surfacing of us, of us shooting him in the head in the middle of the street somewhere. And mm. I just kind of wish, I wish these guys were bigger wusses and would just check out when they when all is lost. You know, 
That's all. Yeah. Okay. So on that, uh, let's move on to the other uh, Middle Eastern topic we have today, which is, as I was saying, the uh, Tunisian elections. Um, that is basically what we were all thinking and saying when, as the Arab Spring revolutions were happening, we were, I believe, all for uh, these revolutions and marveling at the power of the people and the power of uh, revolt and the strength that these amazing uh, populations displayed. And at the same time, in the back of your mind, there was the, all right, so what's going to happen afterwards? And the answer was already there somewhat. It was, well, there's a very good chance that the Islamist movements are going to win the elections. And that that is sort of confirmed already in, in Tunisia since, uh, lo and behold, Islamist movements have won the elections. Now, we're not talking necessarily about – I don't know all the details about the Tunisian Islamist um, party, but they seem to be – You know, it's not like the Taliban in uh, Afghanistan, right? It's not like they're right. going to forbid uh, birds to, you know, forbid people to have birds because they offend uh, God. Uh, but it might be that they have uh, laws against, you know, some of the uh, women's rights or, you know, the, the usual um, uh, Islamic law would be somewhat applied in Tunisia now. Um, the interesting thing is that there was a lot of, at least what was reported in France, was that there was a lot of unrest and concern, I would think, uh, in, in Tunisia itself, when it was clear that the, that party, which, I'm sorry, the name escapes me now, um, that party was uh, going to win the elections. And then there was some reassuring on, on the Islamist party's part uh, which was you know we are the we were elected to govern tunisia as a whole and we're not going to be uh doing it just for the people who elected us which seems like a very um mature a surprisingly mature way of approaching uh the election for such a young uh, uh government. So there's a, a sort of mix of a, a, a little bit of concern and at the same time the fact that you have to believe that this is the course democracy has to take and you have to trust that things are going to work themselves out and of course in these countries you're not going to have all of a sudden a you know uh, uh, they're not going to depart from what fuels their strength and some of their um, uh, identity, which is Islam, you know. So, um, yeah, it, it's a, sort of a waiting on the sideline vision that we're having here and wait to see what happens with a little bit of a um, little bit of hopeful um, uh, eye, I would say. Yeah, it's a it's a tenuous period, though, right? So when you learn, you learn whether or not The, the, the better hand is put forth, right? Like you don't, you, we hear about this stuff in Egypt. It's like, well, okay, sweet. We've deposed our leader. We've got what yeah. we wanted. Now what? And somebody raised their hand. Sharia law for everybody. Because <laughs> that's the way it's going to be. And that's just yeah. how it is. And we're going to stone you if you don't. And like, okay, well, hold on a minute. 
like is that representative of the people? Is that you know it, it's a power grab? And so in this case, where you've had an actual election, I don't know. It's just that time's going to have to tell. But I, I remain, I'm really hopeful about all these things. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like it's just so many decades of the Middle East is a cesspool. It's the worst place ever, and nothing good comes from there. Just all this stuff, and then you see real change happen and people using modern technology to do it. And that, that makes so, me happy. And, you know, was there a, um, you know, reporting on the, well, basically the Islamists, uh, winning the election, was there any, um, uh, instrumentalization of that on the, uh, in the U S was it, Oh, look at the horrible, you know, Uh, how do you call it? Towel heads or whatever, <laughs> you know? Not, not really. I mean, do you, do you mean like, was there a lot of credit taking here? Is that what you're getting not at? credit taking? I'm, I'm uh, fear mongering. Oh, look, the Islamists are back in power in Tunisia. Are in power in Tunisia now, oh, and oh. it's going to become terrorist training camps. And no, no, know. no, no. There's okay. not a sense of that until they actually start doing some of that, I suppose. But they, um, and not to say they would, but I, I think it's. I think it's a, uh, people have kind of come to the conclusion, well, you're not going to take Muslims out of the Middle East. You're not going to remove right. this perceived extremism uh, out of the general religion, no matter what you do. And people who are there and who are going to be in power are going to be traditional Muslims of all sorts of ilks and colors. And, Wait, and, uh, uh, and Just to, to say one thing, the... Uh, Muslims, for at least in France, if you say a Muslim... You talk about someone who practices Muslim religion for, you know, Islam for themselves. When you mm-hmm. say Islamist, you're talking about someone more, um, how do you say it? Pro, pros, uh, in French, it's proselytisme. Is there something like that? Oh, you know, extremist? basically wanting to, no, wanting to apply the, the Islamist law more, you know, to others, I guess you, you right, say. Right. The, the more extreme version so, of. Uh, what, so, one, is a, one is a personal religion, the other is a social ideology. I would, yeah, somewhat. It's not as clearly defined, but basically, yeah, because what I'm trying to say is even those who didn't vote for the Islamist party in Tunisia, a lot of them are still Muslims. You know, it's, there is a distinction there. It's like Mm. saying the, uh, you know, someone is a Christian and someone is a, uh, I don't know, religious Jewish or something. No, 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 no. Someone is a Christian and someone is a, uh, a religious, Oh, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? In other words, what we call that here in the States and what I think is one of the most important tenets of of our belief system, and I think it should always remain so, and that is the separation of church and state. Mm. Um, And it's the idea, it's the opposite of what you're talking about, which is, no, don't let don't let theology or religion be what makes decisions for Uh, well, even on a, even on a personal world. level, uh, I think most – I'm trying to define this very vaguely, but, you know, if you have a, a person who's a Christian who would, uh, you know, do something a certain way and then someone would be a Christian that would go throw a, uh, you know, a, a paint balloon at a, a abortion clinic, you know? <laughs> right. That that kind of, of difference, right. although they've it's sort of their, not exactly the same. Personal politi- they let their personal religious beliefs seep into their into their social system. Right, and I'm that's sure what we, nobody are, wants that. There are lots of Muslims in uh, all these countries that are you know completely okay with women driving and women uh, teaching and whatever. And you have some that would think, you know, like in in Saudi Arabia is the law at the moment. Well, women shouldn't drive and women shouldn't blah blah blah. So. Right, right, um, right. Yeah. Okay. But we're we're sort of 
delving into something else. Uh, yeah, back to Tunisia. Who was speaking? Scott. I don't know. You uh, were was done. I? Okay. No, I maybe you were done. done. Uh, Charles. <laughs> so we, we know the elections were held. We know what the outcome was. But, it, again, it's not significant news over here. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, I, I guess... Just talking personally again from the um, from the outcome of the elections, so a, a healthy democracy represents the uh, the culture of the society, right? So if the culture of the society is Islamist or Muslim or whatever it happens to be, and that's what the uh, democratic outcome of the elections is, then kind of all good. Um, I, I say kind of all good because there's a. Um, uh, uh, risks around women's rights and and so on and mm. so forth, but uh, but if 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 it is genuinely representative, if the if the due process was followed for this election and continues to be, this is probably the kicker here, continues to be followed for subsequent elections, then they're on the right track. Yeah, it's not. Thank you uh, for this you isn't know, a revolution. This is an election. Yeah, I'm I'm. Very always very glad that I get uh, guests on this show that are actually better spoken than I am because then they say something that I'm thinking but so much better and it makes complete sense and I can say yes, that's what I meant. So thank you, Charles. <laughs> um, um, just just settle up for me and I'll knock it over the fence for you, Patrick. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so I guess that's about it, about the... Um, the two big topics, basically, well, uh, the, the the crisis and the Occupy movements and then the Middle East and what's happening there. Uh, let's go quickly over maybe local stories, uh, if there are any. Um, what I'll uh, do is talk about the socialist, again, that irky, irksome word, um, <laughs> socialist primaries, which were um, – Instituted after the um, our, our right wing primaries happened uh, in the last elections, uh, the socialists decided to to do the same thing. And of course, as you probably know, um, Dominic Strauss-Kahn was the most uh, likely um, uh, candidate. Uh, until his scandal happened. And this time, um, I mean, since he had to bow out, um, um, oh, God, I'm forgetting, forgetting his name. Oh, someone Got was elected. Me. God, how, what, <laughs> why does that always happen to me? Uh, Barry you just make up a name. Um, I'm sorry? Barry, call him Barry. <laughs> François Hollande is his name. Uh, uh, François Hollande, which, who is a little bit of trivia, um, you might remember that uh, in the last election, or maybe you don't, um, in the last election, um, the, the, the uh, Nicolas Sarkozy went ahead against, um, oh God, Ségolène Royal, there you go. Uh, and he was her uh, partner for a very long time, and he is now the um, main, uh, well, the, the socialist uh, candidate for the election that is going to happen in 2012, in 2012. So that occupied a lot of the um, uh, news cycle in uh, the past few weeks. Uh, he was uh, elected, well, not elected, he was chosen uh, on October 16th, and the interesting thing is, for the primaries, basically anyone could vote, even people who didn't have uh, 
who didn't belong to the to the socialist party. I'm wondering if that's the same uh, thing in the U.S. Do, do can anyone vote in any primary here? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Um, okay. I well, didn't realize. I'm sorry. Not that's not true. It, you have to be in primary states. So, for example, um, oh, I'm going to look bad if I get this wrong. So don't say. All it. I know I'm, is I vote on voting day. Like I vote on election day. And I okay. rarely do any of this primary garbage because to me it just it's weird because it's like states like Ohio and and mm -hmm. uh, Massachusetts and these things that don't in Florida that have all these major major important states where these guys go and and whatever they don't come here and and okay. do much of any sort of um, campaigning okay. and so I rarely vote until it's the big day right sure um, so I could be totally wrong about this but I believe you can only the you can only vote in the states states that are slated as primary states. Okay, that's During the weird, primaries. but uh, all right. I may have that. You know what? And, and again, don't quote me because I may be dead wrong on that because I've never really messed what much with that, and I don't remember exactly how it works. Okay. But I think that's so, kind of how it works. Scott Johnson says, "Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah." So that internet. was Woo! so that was uh, our big thing, which I guess is not of a huge amount of interest to others. Um, it's going to be an interesting uh, race once the. Um, The election actually, the elections are actually start. Oh, I'm, I'm silly. Um, there's actually another big part of the political game that uh, is worth mentioning for October. It's that um, the daughter of Nicolas Sarkozy was born um, uh, a few weeks ago. Also, so oh, wow. yeah, his daughter with uh, Carla Bruni, and it it was somewhat. Um, reported on not not a huge media frenzy, I think, as you would have expected. It was fairly, you know, it was the, there was a lot of reporting around, you know, maybe two days around it, three days, mm -hmm. but then it sort of died down, and we didn't get like pictures or anything like that. He might be, you know, cynics will say, and they might be right, that he's saving them for closer to the, the election to have the sort of uh, big family pictures and make him seem uh, very sympathetic to the. Housewives of uh, of of France. Um, surely, oh, surely not. No. Charles, you you're you're silencing a little bit. Can you turn uh, unplug and replug your mic, maybe? Has that has that No, it's horrible. Let me hang up and uh, call you back. Robot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that uh, happened, and. Um, <laughs> And that happened, and that was it. Uh, there That's was right. something well, she, else. She I wasn't to... the seventh billionth baby, was she? I don't think so. No, she wasn't. Mm. Oh, that also happened actually. Um, yeah, yeah happen, so yeah. The, the one of the reasons why it was a big deal is that it's the first time it happens uh, in the Fifth Republic um, in France, which is our uh, you know republic at the t right now, uh, that a president, an acting president, uh, has a child. So yeah, kind of rare in, in office, right? It doesn't really yeah. happen here either. Yeah. Exactly. I don't think this has happened for us since, like, sheesh, may have been before, like, sometime before Kennedy. I don't Which, remember. Yeah. Very rare. So, yeah, that was uh, our thing. Do you have something worth mentioning? Um, I do. Okay. Um, I'll just briefly mention it's been all the rage around here. You probably saw my Google Plus post about it, but there was a judge in Texas who uh, was videotaped six, seven years ago, rather, Uh, by his daughter uh, beating her with a belt uh, over and over, pretty sadistically, and in a way that is a very excessive, way way beyond the pale of normal father-daughter uh, okay. 
parental, uh, you know, even what's the word I'm trying to say? Um, punishment. Okay. Uh, she, she, like, she videotaped him as he was doing it. Oh yeah, she hid a camera in her room. She didn't. She oh, okay. held on to this tape until just like a week ago. So seven years of not showing it to anyone. Um, she was 16 at the time. She um, was in trouble for downloading music on the internet. So he went, got his big old belt, went in there and just beat the tar out of her um, with this belt over and over and over. As a as a father, it just incensed me, and I just cannot believe it. The worst part is the internet trolls who side with the dad for the most ridiculous reasons I've ever heard. Um, it is it is beyond abusive. It is hideous. We have we have experts who know how bad this is. The guy's been uh, let you know let go essentially from his post as a, as a judge while they investigate this. It's past the. Um, the statute of limitations, which means he can't be prosecuted for this specific behavior. Um, but is that be. the reason she waited, or no? She she claims she waited because she was afraid that if she released it before she was well out of the home and independent mm. on her own, that she would be there would be huge repercussions. Okay, and she might be right. Um, the mother in the video seems very complicit and also sort of partic- participates, but now she's siding with her daughter. Has left the husband years ago. Says that he was abusive to her as well, and that she was just sort of. Stockholm syndrome going along with it. Hmm. Um, anyway, it's just been a big mess over here about that. This one specific case, and it's just brought up all these issues of what is or isn't okay. What you know, what what kind of corporal punishment with your children is appropriate and what isn't. And there's nothing about this video that is. But there are there are people all well a loud minority of people hmm. who side with the dad and he should be. Who's going to control her kid if he can't? And yeah. all this kind of bullcrap talk. There is a difference between sitting down and punishing your kid with whatever method you choose to punish them with and and this. This is full-on freaking abuse, and it's hideous right. and horrible, and it's the hardest seven-minute video I've ever sat through. So that's been going on, and that, and that just created a huge swell of coverage and news, and hmm. people are flipping out about it. And you have some people on one extreme saying, well, what do you expect? It's Texas, and that's a pretty douchey thing to say. And other people are saying, well, no, he's in, he's within his rights. He's his father. He should be able to do what he wants. And Really? Yeah, I see it and just go. I mean, I, I haven't seen the video, but the way you describe it, it <laughs> seems like... You should watch it and tell me what you think. I, I'd love to get an international perspective on it. There is nothing I, I about it. I don't think there's... Okay, the, if it is indeed the way you're describing it, there's no international uh, anything. It's just... It just seems... <laughs> just listening to you saying describing it, yeah. it makes me a little bit, you know... Duh. That's so, pretty bad. He comes back for more at one point, and... And he just if, uh, he comes off as this t- sadistic, horrible man, mm. and he's just cussing her out and chewing her out and demeaning her in every possible way. And okay. she ap- apparently has some form of um, oh, I forgot the name of the disease. And so even this, so that plays in there. She's slightly disabled in some way. And anyway, okay. there's all this stuff, and it, it just it was a shocking reminder to me that there are few people, and again, very small minority, and mostly on the internet. So take that for what it's worth, but. There's some real a-holes out there who seem to think this is the way things should go and that we've gone too soft and that's what's wrong with kids today and all this kind of BS. I'm like, well, I've got one who's out looking at colleges and has perfect grades and hugs me at night before she goes to bed and she's the same age and I've never even thought of raising a hand to my daughter once. And if I ever had a daughter who was a complete and total you know, rebel and I don't care how disobedient they are, I still wouldn't do that. Like, it's so bad, dude. It's is real it, bad. Like, of course, that, yes. But would you, like, um, 
slapping a child? Because that's a, a debate that we're having, not really a debate, but um, my fiancé, who's from Scandinavia, um, was shocked when a kid, you know, there was a mom who slapped her kid in the metro um, mm. in Paris. And, you know, it's not like she was beating the kid bloody. It's just a slap because he was being disobedient. And that level of debate definitely happens in Europe, I guess. In France, oh, sure. it's somewhat accepted, you know, the a little slap or a little bit of a spanking would, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, people, not everyone agrees, but it's not like you're going to call the cops, right? right. Um, so are, are you saying that you would never do that either? or No, I never would. Um, the closest thing I've ever been in my life to this sort of thing is one time I made my sister cry when I was a kid. I was a teenager. I guess I'd have been about 13 or 14. And I made my sister cry, and she never cries unless something's real sad or bad. And I totally embarrassed her in front of her friends, and she was really upset. And my dad heard her cry. He came into the other room, and he kicked me in the butt and sent me to my room. Like, literally kicked my butt with his foot. Mm. That's as close as I've ever been. And you know what? He was within his rights. I, I, had, mm. I had wronged his daughter in, in a way that really upset him, and he was like, you know what? That's it. Uh, the good news right. is we were as close as we've ever been, and she's awesome. It was the only time this sort of thing ever happened. But my dad was so mad at me. Well, that's as close as I've ever gotten with my kids. Never. Hmm. Not once. Well, what about hand. the and time I... that you made me cry, Scott? <laughs> what about that? Well, someone should beat me for that. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not right. – I, I just feel like hmm. people that say, well, what's wrong with kids? No, no, no. One of the good things about modern society is we do figure out ways of shedding our more – brutal side side our, our more brutal humanity and we can we can get rid of those things they don't have mm. to stick around we used to burn witches at the stake we used to behead people when they looked at us wrong we used to hang our our slaves in the south when they you know glanced at our white wives so it's okay for us to to shed things that suck about mm. us and and this is one and there's no I, I, if you're if you're to the point that you're you've got a kid that is so out of control that you're just beating them within an inch of their life to control them something else is wrong it's not about the beating it's mm. something else and i don't care who you are what you say you're all lying if you think it's different i mean i really right. do i really believe that this is as simple as that i and, think uh, uh they you know it it's probably adhd and they should be medicated you're absolutely right maybe it's not sure, beating is not <laughs> I was. Yeah. Of course, I'm, maybe I'm some, maybe kidding. Something else. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's just there's other solutions besides becoming yeah. just a brutal freaking turd yeah. bucket and kicking some, you know, punching a girl in the face with your belt. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Of course. That again. That is ob absolutely obvious. And I don't want anyone to possibly understand that. You know, in France, we, you know, we sort of do that sometimes. No, that's not what I said. Just yeah. talking about. I, mean, you know. I, I slapped my my like Nick yesterday. I smacked him on the butt as he's running out of the house, but we were, it was, we Playful. were playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah of we're course, like, of course. I'm like, all right, be careful that I don't break your neck. Dad, I'm fine. Whack, ow. And then he ran. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's fun and everyone's yeah, course, laughing and having a good time. That's and not if, what I'm talking about. And if your, your family is any example of the, the, you know, the virtues of not beating your kids, uh, I think it's a fine example of that. So. You've convinced yeah, me. Out all right. As you know, and I'm not done yet. Nick's only 11, but you know, I have three kids. <laughs> And they've made it so far, and they've done okay, and I feel pretty good about the way yeah. we did things. So I'm talking from some experience here. It's not like I'm some single dude on the outside going, well, I don't think yeah. you should bait your kids, and I don't know. I mean, I've been there, and I've had, you know, we've had stuff. It's not like it's been easy. Kids have yeah. stuff that comes up. Yeah. We don't have to kick the crap out of them.
Like and uh, Charles is uh, is sitting listening on, in the background, going like, "I beat my kids every day. What should I say?" <laughs> uh, All right, no, it's, it's Sunday today, so no. <laughs> no, you take that day off. <laughs> All right, um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna add uh, on on the top basis of this discussion. I'm gonna add a book to both of your reading lists. Okay, it's called The Slap. Uh, it's actually the subject of a television series which is on TV at the moment here. And uh, it, it, it is actually a story that starts at a, at a barbecue, at a family uh, 40th birthday party barbecue. And uh, one of the guests at the barbecue slaps one of the children there. I'm not going to tell you why or, or what sits around it or anything like that. But it then goes into the, the fallout effect of, of, of that event on this group of about a dozen people. And, and the effect that it has on their lives. It's a really, really fascinating thing. Mm. And what it, what it uses is exactly the discussion that you and your fiancé are having, Patrick, around where the line is and, and a whole range of moral ambiguities in middle-class society uh, then get brought into the discussion and the story. It's really, really interesting. So read it. Mm. And uh, the author seems to be Christo, uh, Christos uh, Tsiolkas. He's an Australian, but I'm guessing he's of uh, Greek descent. So Absolutely. you're bringing us uh, full circle. So Indeed I am. And, well, that's what you get. You get Greece when you slap your children. <laughs> so that's, if that's not a cautionary tale, I don't know what is. Um, all right. Thank you. Uh, let's do the last uh, local story, if you have one, uh, Charles. And I know that you do. Because I, I very uh, subtly suggested one, but uh, you don't have to talk about the. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Okay, uh, let's ignore the rugby, the rugby world, cup. world cup because France lost. So that's I, a painful. I was memory. not going to bring that up, Patrick. I, uh, I I wouldn't be so callous as to do that. <laughs> but New Zealand won, so yeah, who cares anyway? Um, two things. I'll give you a choice of two. You can either have a 14-year-old in a Bali jail for purchasing drugs. In a what? Or you can have. In a Bali, you know Bali, the island of Indonesia? Oh, oh right. right, okay. Yep, yep, he's in, in jail in Bali for purchasing drugs. Or you can have a rather interesting twist on an airline strike. Take your choice. Ooh, we heard about the strike here. So if you have details, uh, I'll, choose that, I'll, I'll choose that one. Uh, yeah. But Scott, you can go with the Bali one and we'll have a tie and we'll have to decide somehow. somehow. <laughs> no, I think I, I like the idea. When you say Bali, all I think about is video games. So let's not talk about that. Let's talk okay. about uh, airline strikes. That sounds like fun. Okay, that's a good thing because uh, if you had decided on, uh, on Bali, the, the, the deciding uh, way that I would have chosen would have been that I decide because it's my damn it's show. It's your show, right? Yeah. It's your damn show. So. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, despotism lives in podcasting as well as in North Africa, it seems. Um, the uh, Our national carrier, which is no longer our national carrier because it got privatised a couple of decades back, I think, off the top of my head, uh, is an airline called Qantas. Um, Qantas is now being run by a guy called Alan Joyce, who made his name in Ryanair and a, and a range of budget airlines um, throughout the world. And he's working pretty hard on cutting costs in, uh, in Qantas. And one of the things that uh, they're doing is outsourcing and offshoring a range of maintenance services, so on and so forth. Uh, 
This is obviously causing a bit of concern amongst the uh, the local uh, and uh, workforce for Qantas. The baggage handlers and so on and so forth are, are a little up in arms about this. So they've uh, been conducting a range of, uh, of strikes over a period of time. Now, uh, airlines are... <laughs> uh, pretty tricky logistical exercises to run. So when your baggage handlers or whoever the maintenance crews or whoever run a strike, it uh, it grounds a set of planes for quite a significant period of time and uh, and uh, disrupts things pretty significantly. Yeah, we know so, all about that in France. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, the uh, CEO of Qantas did was he took the slightly unprecedented step of grounding the airline himself. So he effectively pulled all the planes out of the air for a period of, I think it was about two days. So it was a kind of a reverse strike. Uh, instead of the, uh, the workers withdrawing their services, the uh, CEO withdrew the airline. Uh, the basis on which he did this was he said, we can't continue to operate in uh, a climate of such uncertainty, so until we get clarity, we're not going to fly. Uh, and... <laughs> I've heard tell that the uh, the chairman of Qantas was a guy that used to run a mining company called, I think, Fortescue Mines, and he was very, very anti-union. And he took the, uh, and may or may not have influenced the very hardline stance against the workers to uh, to ground the airline and effectively remove their, uh, their power through striking. What... Uh, the, one of the differences between the mining industry and the airline industry is, of course, the mining industry is not a service industry. So uh, uh, there weren't a, uh, a few hundred thousand fairly disgruntled airline passengers who were left stranded all over the world as a result of withdrawing mining services, but there were when the airline uh, stopped flying. So there was a ton, an absolute ton of negative feeling towards Qantas as a result of this. Kind of ties in with the Occupy stuff to an extent as well because it is seen as the, uh, as the uh, big players in the, in the world uh, uh, sticking it to the average Joe, so to speak. Um, so I, agree with, I agree with them for the record. It sucks. But it's Go- interesting what you're saying because... Got the airline back in the, in the air and, yeah. uh, and now we're all playing together again, which is kind of nice. But uh, it's, it's, it, it is really transformational um, around how industrial relations work. Uh, I think it's a really, really interesting outcome. It's, it's interesting what you're saying because the way we heard about it uh, was basically being reported through the statement of that, I don't know, that person who, you know, that spokesperson for Qantas, um, who was saying, it's impossible for us to operate in these conditions. The the implication being, it is actually sort of the unions being so unreasonable that they have forced the airline to to, to stop operations. And maybe that's because it has actually happened in a, a few times in France that Air France and, and maybe a few others have had to stop operations because the, the, there was a general strike on one uh, category of works, workers or another, um, you know, air controllers and people like that. Um, but you're, what you're saying is, uh, Charles, is that it was actually them sort of blackmailing the, the workers by saying, okay, you, you don't want to do what we want? Fine, you don't have a job. Kind of. Mm. It, it didn't get to that point, obviously, because uh, they still well, have a job. Te- yeah, te- but, uh, temporarily, but, but you don't if, have any work you, to do, right? Exactly. If you're going to draw it to its logical conclusion, it would be at some point, if you 
keep going down that line, the airline folds and the workers don't have a job. So Um, were the workers and the unions actually being at least somewhat unreasonable or was it just a preemptive, you know, F you by the the, um, uh, company managers? um, Look, were they being unreasonable? It depends a bit on on which side of the fence you sit, but uh, any, any company has a right to decide how it runs itself. And, and who it employs and who it doesn't. Um, the workers for the company have a right to maintain or withdraw their services if they don't feel like their voice is being heard, so on and so forth. Um, yes, the workers had a point and indeed still have a point around risk to their jobs, uh, risk to the, to the, um, to the uh, um, economy and, and uh, society as a result of the loss of the jobs. Gee, I find myself being so damn incoherent at uh, no, 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 it's in very... the morning. I don't understand why. <laughs> it's, 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 I, I think you're being very, very eloquent. So keep going. Uh, I guess it, what I'm what I'm understanding it, from it, what you're saying is it, it wasn't a clear one of them. Uh, at least, okay, the unions weren't clearly being completely unreasonable. There wasn't that feeling in the country. Oh of, no, 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 not at all. Okay, not at and, all. and that's all. somewhat what we understood of it in France, or at least how I perceived it. But the, uh, the other dimension here is that there is a um, there, there is a government-run industrial arbitration process, which is called something like you know, it's, it's a bit um, newspeak. I think it's called the uh, the Fair Work Commission or something like that. Uh, <laughs> stupid name for it. Uh, the uh, and and the story now is why did Qantas not go to the Fair Work Commission and seek an order for the unions to return to work, which would have been possible to do? Why did mm. they ground the airline and take that step rather than going through the due process around industrial relations and the Fair Work Commission? Is, is that uh, even and, legal? Because it seems like they would... I mean, the, the unions have a right to discuss things. And if there is a process to resolve the, the, the issues, is it legal for a, for a company to just say, fine, anytime you open your mouth? You know, it seems like an unfair use of force, yeah, kind yeah. of. You and, know? and in fact, that, that exactly that, whether it's legal or not, I don't know, but exactly that is the subject of uh, Senate inquiries and parliamentary discussions right now, which is, did Qantas do anything that was legal or otherwise to, to, to ground the airline for as mm. many days as they did? And, and uh, what was it, a big conspiracy? Did they plan ahead of time to do this? Uh, did they know that this was an action they were going to take or were they genuinely forced into a situation where they uh, couldn't guarantee service and therefore couldn't run their airline? Interesting. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 is, it is fascinating, and we will watch it over the next couple of weeks to see how it pans out. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Charles. Thank you, Scott. I think uh, with that... Oh, and I think the, uh, uh, just quickly, the Bali story was a hell of a lot more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, cops! Uh, well, you'll have to uh, to bring it back up next time you're on. Then I blame Patrick because it's his damn show. <laughs> and if you, dear listener, wish to blame me, also you can go to uh, 
the blog, which is, I don't even know the address. Uh, it's thephiliusclub.com. It will link you to that. Or uh, come to any social network type thing and uh, look for me and yell at me if you wish to. I will uh, be happy to hear your complaints and not shut down the airline like uh, evil Qantas. What about you guys? Where can people find you if they want to yell at you? Charles, um, you go first. Okay, Charles. Uh, I have almost no profile, but if you really are bored, you can follow me on Twitter. Extrepid. It's like intrepid, but with X at the front. That's the so X clever. Every, every time you say it, it makes me smile. Uh, otherwise, um, yeah, whinge at the world and maybe I'll hear. <laughs> I love that term, whinge. I wish that took off over here. It never has, but I love it. Scott. Whinging. Um, yes, they can find, jeez, uh, everything I'm up to at frogpants.com. Or they can follow me on Twitter as well, Extra Life on Twitter. And uh, check out all the other Frog Pants shows. You'll find Phileas Club nestled in there. And the, we have a big mega feed as well. So if, uh, if you're not subscribed to the main Phileas Club feed, you can get that one as well. And that's got, like, all the other shows on the network um, as they go up. And, um uh, Thanks for having me on, Patrick. Total blast, as always. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I was going to say for waking up early, but uh, actually not really. Um, nah. that's, that's Charles. We have to thank for that. Uh, okay. So thank you both for being on. It was a uh, hell of a good time, as usual. Uh, we will be back next month, hopefully, wi hopefully with Turkey. Uh, and until then, I hope you all, dear listeners, have an excellent time having fun in the world. That, that sounds really nice. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
you know, uh, pay pay you a beer or something. So we'll, we'll <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> well, by then I'll, the economy I'll, will all be a barter system with beer anyway. So. <laughs> I'll pay you with a, a, an, an offensive uh, dance of the haka, mistaking you for your, uh, you know, New Zealander <laughs> brethren. Uh, Something like that would that. have been a story to put up as well. The French charging the haka. They yeah. did. I didn't. Didn't, didn't you hear didn't, about that? No, no, no. I didn't follow it. I, I really so, don't care about rugby at all. Yeah, yeah fair so. enough. So you, you, you know about the haka, right? Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Well, the, yeah. That's why I was making so, that joke. So uh, before the finals, <laughs> the um, the uh, it's it's early. Give me a break. Uh, before <laughs> the final, uh, the 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 French team sort of formed this. V formation and walked towards the Kiwis as they were doing the hucker. Huh. And it, it turned into a, a minor uh, fracas because uh, the rugby governing body said they shouldn't have done it. They fined them some amount of money and, and all the rest of it uh, for encroaching on the, the uh, uh, on the hucker itself. And I actually thought it was quite a good thing to do. You know, don't sit there and get intimidated. Get a bit of your own back. Yeah, it's sort of... I mean, it depends. If it was done playfully, uh, it's okay. If they, they just, you know, charged and, and messed everyone up and, like, you know, started... No it, no physical contact made at all. They just oh, okay. walked towards them in a, in a sort of uh, macho, threatening kind of pose. That's, you know uh, what? Yeah. Next time, what we'll do is you guys... Well, not you guys, but the Kiwis will be dancing, doing the, the haka, and we'll just, you know, to counter it, be sitting down eating croissant and, and drinking oh, wine and I stuff like it. that. I love it. That, that, <laughs> that would work, <laughs> I think. <laughs> about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.